As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. With me... With a giant uh, humidity spiked afro, based on uh, the Zoom view that I have here, uh, and picking number four in the NBA draft for your Toronto Raptors is Eric Green. What's up, man? Uh, all the options are on the table. We're going to do our due diligence about uh, all prospects, not just you know who mock drafts have going in the top four. Usman uh, Garuba. <laughs> Uh, not much, not much. It's, uh, you know, a nice, nice morning to wake up to, uh, some good Raptors news finally. Yes. So that, that's as you nice. wrote about last night or this morning, rather it's, uh, it's been rare in the last year and it wasn't, you know, it's, uh, I, I made the joke in an Evan Mobley piece, not even a joke. It's a real thing. I made a, a comment in an Evan Mobley piece that I did a couple weeks ago that, the way the lottery works opens itself up to the Monty Hall problem, right? Where you pick one of three doors and then they eliminate one door and suddenly all the probabilities in your head have changed and so have your expectations. Well, it's the same thing when you go to commercial break knowing that the Raptors have jumped from number seven into the top four and then you come out of the break and they get number four. So before that point, you're like, oh, they only have a 31.9% chance of, of jumping to the top four. And then when you go to break, it's like, oh, no, they have like maybe like a one in four chance of being number one. Uh, and then there's a, a minor, minor letdown there, maybe. I think that's more the way the broadcast is done yeah. uh, than, than anything to do with the actual probabilities. But, hey, look. The, the number one pick at that 7.5% chance would have been great, but there was only slightly less than a one in three chance the Raptors jumped up even this high. So uh, take it. The wins, moral or otherwise, have been pretty rare the last calendar year plus. Uh, and the Raptors got a little one here. A little yeah. bit of good fortune. Beggars can be choosers, but they probably shouldn't be. Um, so it's good news. You don't turn your nose up at it. And... Uh, I know we're going to get into the specifics, but we sort of went into the draft process saying this is a top four, maybe top five type draft, and then things get a lot murkier. Well, now you know if that's how the Raptors view the draft, then they get one of those guys. And, you know, there's enough, there's enough history with prognostications being wrong about the draft that you know one of those guys probably turns out to be a bust and somebody from below or multiple people from below make a bunch of teams look stupid that's how the draft works but as far as going into it you're you know being as Bobby Webster said being fourth gives you a lot more options and a lot more control over the process than being seventh Let's get into it. Here, hang on. I just want to I want to follow up on what you said about picking fourth in a presumed top four draft or, or at the tier cutoff. Um, what we call that is the coward's ideal, where <laughs> you can concede that there is a certain number of prospects you'd be happy with, and then you land in the spot where you don't have to make the decision between them. That's beautiful. That's Having beautiful. said that, 
Uh, we don't have to look back any too far at all. Uh, we can look back to the last time the Raptors had a lottery pick at number nine from the New York Knicks um, to see how quickly a presumed top X can look differently uh, in the rear view. So the 2016 NBA draft where the Raptors took Jakob Pertl at number nine, everyone talked about that as a top eight. There was, uh, you know, Ben Simmons was the prize, Ingram, Jalen Brown, Buddy Heal, Jamal Murray, all, all spicy picks. Uh, but within that presumed top four were Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris. And I would never in my life think to disparage Chris Dunn. Uh, but Chris he Dunn. was maybe not as good a pick at number five as some of the lower guys. And obviously, you know, Pirtle at nine ended up being a pretty solid pick. But uh, Sabonis at 11, Siakam at 27. Uh, there were some Malcolm Brogdon in the second round. There were some pretty good picks outside of that top eight. So all that is to say, gauging consensus and status quo is uh, very helpful. As I tried to highlight in our staff mock draft last night, I don't know that we want to stay married to that, especially with a team like the Raptors that has, with the exception of Pirtle, and maybe OG Ananobi, depending on your, your comfort level with his knee at that when he started sliding, uh, you know, they, they've been pretty comfortable going off board or, or off the kind of public board uh, a little bit. So yeah. this is a top four. I, I, I would write it as four plus. Um, you know, for me, I think Scotty Barnes has taken that kind of five spot to get in the mix there. I know some people are still really high on Jonathan Kaminga, uh, including some of the uh, the more analytic approaches, which is surprising to me because his synergy page is a wasteland from the G League Ignite season. Um, you did make me laugh out loud in your piece when you said, let's be honest, the, uh, the magic are taking him. Uh, yeah. He does seem like a perfect magic prospect, yeah. uh, and I, 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 I did, I didn't know that's what I believed until you wrote it, and I had a, I had a good hearty chuckle, Blake, yeah. at, a, at about eleven, eleven thirty p.m. after I got done writing my piece. In talking with uh, our Orlando colleague Josh Robbins, it sounds like um, Scotty Barnes is also a a magic guy. Um, we'll, we're gonna we're gonna talk a magician. About some... They're called yeah. magicians. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, trade possibilities, maybe in the, the mailbag portion of this podcast, but I'll have a piece coming out later in the week. Uh, again, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six for a discounted subscription right now or click any of our articles. Um, there's usually something that pops up uh, giving you a little discount. And, and what a time of year to dive in. Uh, we are going to explore some trade possibilities up and back uh, in the draft this week. We're not going to look at trade possibilities trading out just yet because those are uh, much bigger frameworks that, that require a little more time. Anyway, all this is to say that, yes, there is a top four of Cade, Cumming, Cade Cunningham. Uh, the, the other thing is what we would have been doing if the Raptors picked uh, number one. Um, uh, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, and Jalen Green in some order with either Scotty Barnes or Jonathan Kaminga or your favorite 5-20 to 20 prospect here. Uh, rounding out that tier, uh, Cunningham presumed number one to Detroit. Beyond that, uh, and I use the word presume there because it's not certain. Uh, beyond that, um, don't don't believe or don't talk yourself into the Raptors having the same top four that maybe we have at this stage, or Sam Pacini has, or, or our reader mock draft has, or our reader draft board rather, because uh, the Raptors have shown that they don't really care what people outside of their front office think. Yep, and we'll see if that holds... I mean, not that they would make a decision based on the consensus, but, like, you pointed out that, like, with Jakob Pertl, that that was, like, almost their most aligned with mock drafts uh, sort of pick in in recent history. That's also the highest they've picked in the Messiah Jerry. So so who knows if... But even that one, like, I I reported at some point during Pertl's rookie year that... Even that year, the Raptors actually, they didn't have the same consensus top eight that everyone else had. They had Pirtle much higher on their board than number nine. Um, you know, the I don't know. that I, I talked myself so hard into Jalen Brown that year that uh, <laughs> I, I very much, I very much believe if you're a team like the Raptors that wants to pick in the lottery very infrequently, as we've talked about on this podcast and written about in our kind of written reasonableness about our draft philosophy, uh, you got to get 
your guy if you're not going to be here very often, right? And that's why I think even at number four, you know, maybe the Raptors explore moving up. And, you know, if they, if if their guy is someone who profiles as five to 15 in the draft, then maybe move down, get another asset and, and keep kind of, you know, another near-term asset to, to kind of fuel this thing forward. So uh, lots of possibilities ahead. We've already covered a, a bunch of them at The Athletic. Um, we've both, Eric, you wrote about Scotty Barnes. John Hollinger dropped his top 23. Sam Vecini has a newish big board and a new mock draft. Um, I've broke down Cunningham and both the Jalens and Evan Mobley in terms of their fit with the Raptors. Uh, so lots more of that to come. Lots already up there. Again, theathletic.com slash we the six if you're not a subscriber to the written side yet. Uh, Eric. I'm gonna hand the reins to you here. You're gonna you're gonna lead the rest of the podcast. We've got uh we're gonna get specific now. We're gonna we're not gonna talk broad and theoretical. We're gonna we're gonna talk some draft stuff and we're gonna talk some Canada basketball stuff after that. So in case you missed the Mark Tatum power hour, power half hour, it only seemed like an hour because boy is that a convoluted stretched out broadcast they do for the draft lottery. Uh, they went straight from. Orlando via Chicago, uh, which was the eighth slot in the reverse standings, to the Minnesota Timberwolves, which means the Raptors had jumped into the top four. It's the third time they've ever jumped into the top, or they've ever, I should say, have moved up in the lottery. Uh, in the lottery in 1996, of course, they won the draft lottery, but because of uh, the expansion deal they signed, they were not entitled to the top pick, which robbed us of Allen Iverson in uh, in Toronto, uh, probably, uh, I think it's safe to say, maybe Isaiah Thomas goes a different direction. I doubt it. By the uh, way, uh, depending on how you want to qualify the Raptors being ineligible to win the number one pick those couple of years, uh, if you go strictly based on final standings versus where they picked, the Raptors are now plus one spot all time. In terms of lottery success, so uh, but that does not include them getting robbed of Iverson because those were the rules. That wasn't lottery luck. That was yeah, just that the was... rules. Uh, but they have now moved up plus one spot, which yeah. is uh, if that is an evidence that the NBA has the fix in for the Raptors uh, to fuel the Canadian market. I don't know what is the other. Example, of course, 2006, when I believe the Raptors were slotted fifth, uh, if memory serves. I was on the National Post Sports desk that evening, uh, and they won the lottery. Picked first, drafted Andrea Bargnani. We know how that went. Um, the Raptors, of course, wind up picking in the fourth slot, and they have done that twice as well. Uh, and those picks have resulted in Chris Bosh in 2003, and via trade, Vince Carter in 1998. So a blessed spot in Raptors history, for sure. Um, no pressure, pick number four. Yeah. Uh, so just personally, you, you sort of top, you touched, you touched on it uh, a bit earlier. But when you saw that skip that I mentioned, the magic placard, placard. How do we say that word? Uh, the magic. Sure. The magic sign uh, to uh to the timberwolves uh placard placard i don't know why i knew i couldn't pronounce it and yet i tried again um what were sort of the thoughts going through your head when when we saw that the raptors would be in the top four yeah i mean uh first i i when the number seven came up i quickly tweeted the raptors have moved into the top four and no one else had drawn attention to it yet and i was like very panicky double checking my scenario board well um, your feed was slightly ahead of mine i should say uh i think it's because i have rogers ignite and that's based on the internet on like uh, a wi-fi connection which is somewhat automatically delayed anyway I, I, you, you heard it here first eric kareen down on the ignite Jalen Green sliding down uh, Eric's board. <laughs> but wow, talk about the built-in uh, corporate branding for MLSE. Yeah, to, Ignite uh, to Ignite. Except yeah. uh, I, I don't think that will make the situation on the MLSE board any less complicated. No, no. But <laughs> maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a, there's a prospect named Bell in the second round that they can, uh, they can pick up. Uh, I should know if there is or not, but no mm. one comes to mind. But well, they can just sign Jordan Bell. There you go. G League stand, G League bubble standout, Jordan Bell. 
So you were worried about your... Uh, I was worried yeah. that I had I had my scenario sheet wrong because no one else had drawn attention to it. Uh, and then when they went to commercial break, I was trying to like run the updated probabilities based on who had fallen and stuff like that based for exactly where the Raptors were picked. And then it came back from commercial too fast, and I was like, this isn't worth it for uh, for a couple faves. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's good, right? It, it's... Like I said, there's a bit of the the Monty Hall problem of once you know you're getting top four, or once you know they're getting top four, you're you're you know excited and you change your your kind of anchors and, and your expectations. But it's great. I, I think you know we we've talked a lot, like you said off the top, about this draft having four or five really good guys, and and I think this puts the Raptors obviously in a better position to draft one of them it puts them in a more advantageous situation if they want to move up to make sure they get their guy it puts them in a good situation to trade down if they had started looking at guys in the seven eight range and fallen in love with them uh it just it gives you it's a good position to be there's no there's no reaction to have other than moving up from seven to four is good uh so the three picks ahead of them detroit houston and uh you know lottery veterans uh, the Michael Jordan of the lottery, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Detroit, we, as you say, we can presume they're going to go Cade Cunningham, not our, our pal James Edwards the third, uh, does said that's not a done deal, but it, it would be surprising if that's not the direction it ultimately goes in. Uh, I want to talk quickly about Houston and Cleveland because you... Uh, while you were writing about the perceived uh, top four in this draft leading into the lottery a few weeks back, uh, you had Evan Mobley as the clear number two for the Raptors. I, I presume that is still your, you know, your ideal scenario as he winds up with them? Yeah, like I would at this point, specifically through a Raptors lens, I think I would tier the draft one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Is uh, where I'm at. Um, so I, I want to talk about Houston and Cleveland, uh, and because they have centers, uh, they have Houston has Christian Wood, Cleveland presumably will re-sign Jarrett Allen and restricted free agency. They should, and, and if not, oh boy, do I have a team that should uh, <laughs> give him a call. Uh, yeah, but but let's assume those things happen. Uh, we've just watch the playoffs or, or and continue to watch the playoffs where the best defensive center in the league or, or one of the two best defensive centers in the league if we're we're talking about a healthy Joel Embiid I'm speaking of course about Rudy Gobert was sort of played not off the court but was you know his team was made to look you know flawed because of not because of his presence, but because he couldn't quite get out to those to a bunch of shooters. Now Utah has a bunch of poor defender, average to below average defenders. Yeah, I'm willing to put a lot more of that yeah, on their perimeter. You cannot remove Gobert. Gobert from the context with which he is in. Utah sort of had a not enough offense problem, so they addressed a lot of that and be, had and switched to a not enough defense problem. Saying that, you could see that Rudy Gobert was hesitant to get out to some shooters on occasion. Uh, I think that's at least partially fair to say. Uh, so with Houston and Cleveland having those players theoretically on the roster, do you think there's any way that Mobley, because of the position he plays, even though he's a prospect that might be able to uh to go beyond his position uh to transcend his position do you think there's a scenario in which he could slip to four and the raptors yeah. don't have to do jack all to acquire that player if indeed that's what they want to happen yeah i i think that's that's really on the table and i i don't i don't think it has a lot to do with gobert i don't think it has a lot to do even really with with christian wood and jared allen like like you know, we we get 48 minutes a game. Mobley projects as someone who could play some power forward and might need to out of the gate. So so I don't think if I were either of those teams, I don't think I would hesitate on Mobley 
um, because of anything that's happened in the in the playoffs or, or anything with the current roster construction. But I think the other thing that the playoffs have highlighted, which is something we've been talking about for the Raptors since they lost um, Kawhi Leonard, and it's probably the thing that gives me pause about Mobley if if the Raptors had landed number two, is that the playoffs continue to show what a premium perimeter shot making is at, especially perimeter shot making with size. And for that reason, I mean, I, I think I would be surprised if Houston doesn't go guard just because they're so they're so back to building from nothing that yeah. I think that I mean, look, they'll probably look to trade the useful players that they do have at some point um, because they're just so far away from from competing the way they are on paper right now. Um, and they do have three picks in the first round so they, they can get creative here. But. You know, if you're if you're the Houston Rockets and you just went through this season with a, a dramatic losing streak and everything and, and trading your franchise scoring guard, uh, Jalen Green is a pretty spicy pick at number two. And you could go Suggs there too. Uh, Kelly, our Rockets writer, went, uh, went Jalen Green in that spot in our staff mock draft. And I think, you know, if I was building from a clear deck, I don't know that I'd go Mobley number two because he's a guy who's going to need... You know, it's it's one of the Gobert things again. It's like those bigs need someone to make those passes to them, right? And Mobley has more perimeter skill and can certainly create his own shot more. But um, building from the ground up, Green and Suggs are maybe the more archetypal guys that you, you move with. And then Cleveland, I think that they, like, if I were to project what Cleveland's going to do in that spot right now, I would have no idea between Green, Mobley, and Suggs. Um, Kelsey took Mobley. With the cab for the Cavs at, at number three in our staff mock draft, um, but I was talking to her on Slack this morning, and she said it could go any number of ways. The Cavs, through Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN and in uh, Kobe Altman's um, presser last night, talked pretty openly about uh, that they are ready to expedite their uh, building process, and they'll use the number three pick uh, to achieve that if possible. So, um, you know, I, I don't. I just think a lot of stuff's on the table for the Cavaliers, maybe even more so than the Raptors, where, uh, you know, I, I don't think you'd hesitate with greener Suggs to add to their uh, current backcourt. Yeah, maybe you skew a little backcourt heavy with, with your young pieces then, but I think that's that's okay. Okoro looked pretty good. Jared Allen is obviously a, a guy both of us are high on. Um, and, you know, maybe that frees you up to to move one of the, the Sexland pairing. Um, so I think a lot is on the table for Cleveland. So... Having said all that, yeah, I think the fact that I have Mobley second and our reader um, our reader draft board had Mobley a pretty clear second with Green and Suggs split three and four, you know, I don't think that's universal. I think that, that ranking holds true if you're looking at things through a Raptors lens, but Houston or Cleveland could go Green or Suggs or, you know, especially if you're Cleveland, trade out. And then we have to consider, you know, what are... 25 other teams looking at, at at number three are they moving up to get Suggs or are they moving up to get Mobley depending on who it is so uh yes it's possible Mobley slides to number four if the Raptors are enamored with Mobley though I would be calling Cleveland and Houston to make sure and if that costs a future uh lottery protected first to move up that one or two spot I think you're going to be in the lottery so infrequently that you, you really explore that to get your guy um Speaking of that mock draft you mentioned, uh, you can find ah. you can find it on theathletic.com. Blake Murphy shocked the world by taking uh, Scotty Barnes. He he blamed slash uh, credited slash credited uh, myself and John Hollinger for that uh, for that decision. I did not ask him or tell him to do that. I don't even know where I would go at this point. You pulled the lead writer card. Don't don't lie to the people. <laughs> yeah. I can I can doctor up Slack messages for proof. <laughs> um uh, and that allowed Jalen Suggs to fall into Josh Robbins' waiting arms at uh at five in Orlando. Uh so we've talked about this again a little bit. Uh I, I believe in your article about the Jalen, Suggs and Green you had Suggs slightly ahead of Green for the Raptors. Was initially this again was a few weeks ago, um, and now with the choice of Suggs or Prospect X, uh, you went with Prospect X and Scotty Barnes. So X gonna give it to you. Uh, why? 
what I, I what I guess in your mind, uh, what caused you to change your mind uh, a little bit? Why are you waffling? Why in the terms of politics? Why can't you just make a decision and stick with it? Damn all the evidence. Yeah, I mean, look, there are a few reasons, and some of them are going to break the fourth wall here. Uh, the primary, I mean, the the primary one in terms of rankings being fluid at this stage is that I cover the Toronto Raptors and the NBA as my full-time primary beat, and I do a lot of G League watching and G League coverage beyond that, and that makes it hard to watch enough college basketball uh, in real time, so I'm still playing catch-up, and my rankings are probably a little more fluid right now because I use Vicini's and a few other people's that I trust as a baseline and then do my evaluations from there. Um, you know, I think uh, I've moved green ahead of Suggs on my board. I just, I just, the, the amount of weight that perimeter scoring is carrying and the ability to create your own shot. It's, uh, I was talking to, to Danny Chow about this, Yesterday, and it feels like a guy like Jalen Green feels like such a big swing piece for in terms of vibes. Because <laughs> if you get a high volume scorer who is good, there's no cooler player to watch in the in the hot zone than than a guy just heating up, scoring a ton of buckets. And there there's nobody who kills the energy more than uh, a guy who doesn't quite develop and lands in chucker range. Yeah. Um, but anyway. With Barnes, uh, to pull back the fourth wall, the real reason I went with Barnes is that we have had a number of mock drafts already, including Sam Vecini's The Night of the, the Lottery, that had Cade, Mobley, Green, Suggs in some order. And I'm of the mind for mock drafts that part of the value in the exercise is that we run through different scenarios and see what it would look like if a team does go off. Like, when I'm... If I'm doing mock drafts to prepare for a fantasy football season, I don't want the people ahead of me to just take ADP. I want, you know, I, I want to see different scenarios play out. And so I thought, you know, veering off of Vecini's a little bit, and I think the Raptors are a logical spot to veer off Vecini's mock just because they have been so, I guess, like counter consensus with some of their picks in the past. Um so that was that was the primary reason was just like we already had a mock yeah. where the Raptors took Suggs there. Um, and look, I, I do I joked in the in the write up that I'm a good team player, but I do think you wrote a really good piece about Scotty Barnes, and I do think it's really interesting that John Hollinger went as far as to say he could easily end up the best player in this draft, and that's a quote from Hollinger. So um, Barnes, you know, Suggs is a Raptors-y guy as well, and, and a guy I'm sure they'd be happy with to, to add to their backcourt, especially if they lose Lowry. Uh, but Barnes, you know, you drop Barnes into that defense. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think I think there might be a head coach in the organization who would love a guy like Barnes, uh, given the type of players he's liked and played a lot in the past. So I just thought it was a natural spot to, to shake up the, uh, the mock a little bit. I, I don't... I know some people probably like their mocks to be exactly what we all think is going to happen. Um, but on a night where, as a staff, we're dropping two mocks, I didn't find that to be super helpful. And look, there will probably be more mocks along the way on theathletic.com. Yeah, and look, I, look it's, I'm, I'm not... I'd be lying if I said looking back at that 2016 draft wasn't uh, something that, that weighed in here, yeah. where everyone talked about a, a top eight. And two and a half of those top eight were, you know, Bender is an unquestionable bust. Chris, before he got injured, was starting to turn into at least a rotation piece way later. And Dunn, when he's been healthy, has turned into like a really like all world defender that can't really help your offense. So he's uh, he walked so Bruce Brown could run. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so. You know, I don't know. I think it helps to to take different approaches and, and work through different thought experiments. And I think the most valuable part of that was that Josh Robbins, our magic writer, right after that revealed that the magic would have wanted Barnes. So all of a sudden now we're we can think trade possibilities. We're like, oh, if the Raptors, you know, the Raptors aren't going to send a fax out to their or a BlackBerry Messenger <laughs> message out to the rest of the league and be like hey everyone we have uh suggs green mobley two three four just so you know they could bluff barnes they could actually like barnes and if that helps you you know if you play a little hinky here and, and dangle that you'll actually take michael carter williams then 
you know, may, maybe you can extract an extra asset here. If they did send a fax last night, of course, it would have just said, we're back. Um, anyway, uh, so let's briefly uh, touch on two things you mentioned. Uh, I, I think Suggs, who most people would have assumed you would take at that spot, uh, deserves a bit more uh, analysis at this point. May, he might be the most likely of the four, just based on, I think, pure upside, maybe, uh, to be there at, at number four. P- reasonable people can disagree with that. Um, but also, you mentioned Kyle Lowry, and I, I'm sort of of the mind that the getting the fourth pick doesn't like altogether change what the Raptors approach will be with Lowry. Um, but maybe touch on those two quickly. First of all, how does slash would Jalen Suggs fit in Toronto with Fred, Fred Van Vliet? Uh, and uh, how does this impact, if at all, the Lowry, uh, the Lowry situation? Yeah, I, I don't think there should be a ton of impact on Lowry just because you know, the Raptors have played multiple guards together. Um, Suggs, Suggs and Green are both 6'5", and Suggs in particular has some real defensive versatility to his game. We've seen the Raptors not at all shy away from playing three guards if they can be versatile defensively. So, um, you know, and, and then Suggs, I, we warn a lot that 19-year-olds are not going to contribute to winning uh, a hell of a lot right out of the gate. But he would lean toward one of the more win-now-ish prospects in the draft. So, you know, maybe those things wash out, right? You get another guard who's going to need some playmaking duty, but also you get a guy who maybe raises your your ceiling a little bit for this year. So I don't think there's a huge impact there. If Lowry were to leave, though, I think Suggs profiles as a guy who can, you know, absorb some of that playmaking duty. He, He can create for himself... Um, the passing is good and has the potential to be great with his vision and, and his ability to kind of create that first advantage against a defense. Um, and he is just like, he's crazy athletic. And you look at the way the Raptors have uh, built their offense in recent years, at least in the half court. And Suggs and Green are both kind of guys that, you know, that's what's missing, right? A guy who can, a guy who can create an advantage without one already being created for him. Yeah, a guy who can um, get downhill on his own, who can beat his yeah. man. And with Green, you know, that might be a little more shooting-oriented. He, he can certainly invite contact and finish through it, and he improved with his reads in that regard a lot during the G League bubble. Um, Suggs, there are more questions about the jumper translating in the short term than there are with Green. But Suggs is ahead as a playmaker and as a defender, and, and that's why, you know, I've called Suggs a more Raptors-y uh, prospect than Green maybe even though Green is like, like, oh, what is the Raptors' biggest need right now? Half-court scoring and shot creation. Oh, that's Jalen Green's specialty. So you can go back and forth on these guys. And that was kind of the the takeaway from my piece was, you know, Suggs and Green is going to be very much a personal preference split. But yeah, what, if Lowry stays, you know, Suggs gets to come off the bench and kind of co-run a second unit with Malachi Flynn and get a lot more usage than, than he might otherwise, uh, and even probably close some games at the three or, or start at the three if, if the Raptors lean into being small. And then if Lowry leaves, you know, Sugg slots in as maybe your starting two guard and has that playmaking responsibility for himself and others out of the gate. And then the Raptors are kind of this interesting, versatile offense where you maybe have... Van Vliet at 22% usage, Suggs at 22% usage, OG at 18% usage, and Siakam at 24% usage. And suddenly, you know, they've got this kind of four-man offensive spread that makes it a little tougher to, to game plan for and to take any one thing away without giving something else up. So um, Suggs would be a cool fit. It, Barnes, you know, th- that that description obviously makes Suggs sound like a, a much better or a better fit, at least, than Barnes because Barnes is further away offensively. Barnes is just like, he's just so good defensively in like exactly the way the Raptors like their uh, versatile wings to, to be defensive. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, before we move on, my favorite thing that I, I don't know, if I, I learned or remembered last night uh, as we watched the Phoenix Suns win one of the crazy, I, I don't know if it's even one of the crazier games. We've seen a bunch of crazy games uh, in the playoffs, uh, but certainly a not nor an abnormal NBA playoff game uh, last night. Uh, shouts to Jay Triano. Shouts to Campaign. Shouts to DeAndre Ayton. If you're worried about drafting a center first, uh, he obviously had a huge role in that game. Is the Suns are only four and five years removed from completely whiffing on consecutive fourth overall picks. Uh, that's not to say this pick isn't important to the Raptors. Of course it is. But I, I think when you, especially when you jump up in the lottery, the temptation is to say this is going to define the franchise, and it may very well define the franchise. But as we've, you know, we've discussed so many times, there are many ways to get lucky. There are many ways to build a winning team, and you can't necessarily see that, you know, the future from here. So just very interesting for me. The last 10 fourth overall picks haven't been particularly inspiring. Uh, one all-star berth between the 10 of them, that was Chris Stapp's Porzingis. But in the previous 10 years uh, before that, there were Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and Chris Bosh. So a, a, a wide range of outcomes, to say the least. Yeah, you, you also have to look at the Suns a little bit, and I know that they've changed front offices uh, a little bit in that time. Oh, you but... know, it's, you have to look at them in terms of goat shit? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, no. But I mean, like, they've taken a couple of swings, and I don't know that, you know, people certainly thought the Cam Johnson pick was a bit of a reach, and maybe even Jalen Smith. Um, you know, DeAndre Ayton was you know, a debatable call in that draft at that spot. Um, you know, Mikhail Bridges, who who I love at 10, was maybe even a, a touch high based on, you know, consensus at the time. And then that's, that's a risk you take as a team that, you know, if you want to take swings. And, and again, the Suns having two different front offices over this course makes it tough to, to say this the was like two a part or of the three. plan. Maybe even three, yeah. Like McDonough? McDonough and, J and James Jones. Was there somebody in between? Like a sort of makeshift... Anyway, whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trevor Buckstein. Of course. Buckstein? Buckstein? Yeah. I don't know. E either way. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, if if that had been one cohesive front office, you'd say, well, that's the cost of, you know, taking swings for guys you really like is you're going to miss sometimes. And I think that that's something that Raptors fans should... Ooh, Raptors fans! 14-year-old yeah. Blake Murphy shouts. Uh, Raptors fans should keep in mind <laughs> is that, you know, the Raptors have taken some some swings not like they haven't had a oh my god again what's going we're on we're all here? excited you know draft yeah. draft luck is making us feel like the I'm teenagers who just the love issue. the game um high picks high voices let's go um no the raptors have taken some swings in the draft they haven't had a pick this high to take a swing with um, and if they do take a swing and go a little off board you know that's going to have some risk with it the the raptors have been very good at talent identification and player development, but they are not perfect as something like campaign being the NBA Finals MVP might remind you. <laughs> uh, let's transfer the one that got away. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, let's let's go on to Canada basketball Raptors or ugh, Canada basketball training camp for the Olympic qualifying tournament in Victoria, which starts... Is that your way of suggesting that they start naming themselves just the Raptors the same way like the Aussies or the Boomers? Well, I don't know. They get the, all their money from the Raptors, so... Uh... <laughs> Are we, aren't we not supposed to talk about that? <laughs> uh, maybe. The, uh, um, the debt acquisition and everything? Yeah. Mm. The uh, Anyway... They're helped out by MLSC a, a little bit. We're all friends here yeah. in the Canadian basketball yeah, scene. Yeah, it's, the, it's the all, 
incestuous. We're just all feeding off of each other like the leeches we are. Um, Canada basketball started off in, in Tampa. I wonder why they're they're in Tampa, Blake. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, their training camp started last week. Uh, the official, you know, like the fourth official roster or whatever it is came out. I think maybe third official roster came out uh, a few days back. Uh, Second official, third unofficial. Okay, yeah. Well, so they they released a 21 person roster ahead of camp. Then a 24 person roster went up on the FIBA website, and Rowan Barrett said, "I don't know anything about that." But that <laughs> list, when I held it up next to the 21 and tweeted out, "Hey." These guys have been taken off and these guys have been added. And uh, Michael Grange and I reported some of the, the expected absences. It all lined up. And other than, I think, Kaysa Keen and Phil Scrub, who were both uh, finishing their... Like, Kaysa Keen just finished his season overseas. And quarantine protocol and everything, I don't know that it was feasible for him to get there. Um, but yeah, they have a list of 19. Three of those guys are probably pivoting to playing for the U19 team. Um, ben Matherin may, may be... Maybe he has a chance to, to actually stick. Canada basketball has liked to make that 12th man guy a uh, a developmental guy to get them that experience. But the U19 World Cup team has a legitimate chance to medal. Like the, the Canada, US, Australia in that tournament is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, sadly, no money in the budget for me to go to Latvia. But, uh, you know, <laughs> where is it? Uh, that starts, that starts or, July or, 1st. Is it so, in Riga? Do we know? Pardon me? Is it in Riga? The, I don't know the where city? it is. I just know it's in Latvia. Uh, that'd be fun. Uh, I, I know Latvia has great hockey fans. Like, they're, I think the World Championships were there once, and and all of the hockey writers were talking about. I think, like, Latvians and Finns are the best, like, most rowdy and drunk, but, like, likable hockey fans. Uh, certainly not Thanks. certainly not Canadians, the most likable hockey fans. Yeah. Um, um, so, July 3rd, by the way, that starts if you're, uh, if that's something you're interested in, in addition to Canada, trying to qualify for uh, the Olympics. And yes, half the tournament is in Riga, and half of it is in uh, Dagovpils. Of I course. Love Dagovpils. I don't know how to say that city's name. Uh, I apologize to the fine people of Latvia. <laughs> the Dagov, the Dagovpilsians, the Dagovpilsners. Um, the thrills for the pills, baby. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the big chain, the the I mean the most notable NBA type changes from the initial roster. Uh, I still haven't figured out why they announce an initial roster if it can change that much. Uh, this uh, you know not to the extent of 2019 where like it completely changed. Yeah. Uh, but but and no one showed yeah, up. Yeah, but like ended up. I mean, look, like there's two... still eight NBA. Yes, so yeah. we can address the absences if you want. Yeah, I just want to. I just want to mention them. Yeah, like Kem yeah. Kem Birch, Kelly Olynyk, Tristan Thompson, Dylan Brooks, uh, not on the uh, in camp. Uh, I think with. Olenek, Brooke, or Olenek and Birch, they're free agents, and it was always, I mean, when they were on that list, it's like, oh, wow, they're going to show up, but in the back of your head, you're always thinking, but are their agents going to, event, like, stamp that, you know, give it the stamp of approval, which is yeah. why, I, like, I'm still questioning, like, why does this first list even come out? Like, why bother? Uh, Dylan Brooks apparently has a personal commitment uh, that is extending into the summer, haven't heard specifically about Tristan Thompson, but he's, you know, who the hell knows what happened in Boston, and he might need, uh, you know, some time away from basketball, given uh, what's going on there, you know, who could who could really blame him. Uh, and of course, with the uh, injury-related absences, uh, absences of Shea, Gilgis, Alexander, and Jamal Murray, you're missing six pretty damn important players. Saying that, as you mentioned... This team could have up to eight NBAers. Uh, what do you make of the list that's there? And and what are, you know, where do you think this team is strongest? And, and we'll get to weaknesses after that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, counter to the last million Team Canada rosters we've seen, uh, the strength of this one is on the wings. And I think there's some real versatility there. I think there's some... You know, Dylan Brooks is the is the best defender in the program, so losing him uh, hurts, especially when you you look at a, a roster like Turkey's. Um, but they have who got Furkan Korkmaz because of yeah. uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, uh Yeah, 
and Ilyasova because of uh, the Jazz. Oh, so Ilyasova was on the Jazz. Good to know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think the wing depth is is pretty impressive, and I think you know even. Maybe the pure point guard depth isn't that impressive, but they have a lot of combo guys. And yeah. I think what that's going to allow, you know, Nick Nurse loves defensive versatility and stylistic versatility. And I think if you have a bunch of guys with combo skills, you know, they have Corey Joseph and Trey Bell Haynes who are more traditional oriented point guards. And then they have Andrew Dembard and um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker who are more of combos who are playing the point. And then even like, like RJ Barrett has some, some point guard chops uh, that you can run run the ball through him a little bit. Um, so I think you know the wing the wing depth is is where it really stands out. And you've got R.J. Barrett and you've got Andrew Wiggins and you've got Lou Dort, who we can consider a wing for these purposes. Um, Melvin Edgem, who is you know the the avatar of of stylistic and positional versatility for this program over the last uh, decade. Um, and, and even like like a guy like Michael Mulder the way this roster profiles might be in sort of a specialist role. And he was a rotation guy in the NBA this year. So um, the wing depth is real there. You know, Anthony Bennett's another guy that I know people like to get their jokes off and he didn't play this past year because of the the injury, the knee injury he suffered in, in 2019 training camp with the Rockets. But he was really good last we saw him and he played in the feeble windows and was one of the best players on the floor. Um, so don't sleep on that either. So uh, having said that, with the the wing depth and kind of the handful of guys who can do some handling, uh, the weaknesses, Eric. Uh, if you're strong at one position, yeah, uh, in relative terms, you're a little weaker somewhere yeah, else. Maybe Kaz Spidell, El Kaz on uh, Twitter asked us, uh, "What are Team Canada's weaknesses going into the tournament, and is it size?" Uh, yeah, it's going to be complicated up front. Uh, I, I mentioned. Olenek, Thompson, Birch among the late dropouts. Uh, what are the options there and how big? I mean, especially with Olenek, those are, that's a huge loss. Uh, and after Dwight Powell, it gets, uh, it gets murky, maybe. What would you say? Yeah, Dwight Powell's really good. Yeah. Um, he's also, you know, not crazy far removed from a very serious injury. Yeah, so. like, honestly, props to him for showing up. I like yeah. I thought of, like, the NBA guys when we were doing this exercise back in, I think it was late April, maybe early May, trying to picture what the roster might look like. I thought Powell, not for sure, but likely was going to be a guy who would say, okay, I need to work on getting this injury, uh, you know, rehabbing it even stronger and strengthening... Uh, his Achilles, which he tore uh, at the beginning of 2020. Yeah, so beyond Powell, you know, look, again, to go back to the versatility, that that's what they're going to lean on a little bit. And they're going to have some tough decisions to make at the end of the roster where, you know, hey, because the center depth isn't super established, do you want a third center on the roster just in case? Or do you want to, you know, value the, the best 12 players and just, you know, lean into the fact that, hey, Edgem's going to have to play some four. Um, you know, Trey Lyles maybe has to play some five. That, that's a guy I'm super interested to see how Trey Lyles uh, looks with this team just because he had such a – he's had a, a rough go a little <laughs> bit in the NBA in terms of situations, and, and I think he has a lot to prove here as a free agent. And I think he, he profiles as someone who could be really hungry and really embrace uh, what the team's trying to do here, and the team might need him – to play some kind of small ball dribble handoff five, which will be an interesting way for him to kind of show that skill set. Um, you know, in terms of the the kind of final roster spots and th those decisions you have to make, you know, I uh, Owen Clausen's always in the mix. We're going to be in 2030, and he's still going to be in the mix for one of these roster spots. Under, uh, under Andrew, head coach Aaron Dort account? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Andrew Nicholson's, I think, the big one to watch. He's been great in China. He's consistently committed to the program with the FIBA line he's a great stretch option in a way that you know if Nick Nurse is going to try to transplant some of the Raptors offensive philosophy to the Canada roster Nicholson's a, a useful five in the offense so um, he's a guy I'd I'd expect more to make the roster now than I did when we were looking at the preliminary roster uh, I think one of both of our I don't uh, pet peeves might be strong but 
you know, people ask at the beginning of Raptors training camp, oh, what have you seen? And the answer is we've seen guys shooting around. Um, yeah. And we can't even say that for this training camp for obvious reasons. Uh, but is there anything that you've heard in the first few days from Nurse, from a player, uh, anything that sort of has stood out to you in terms of things you're particularly excited for or, or a feel you have about the team uh, that starts this tournament on, uh, again, Tuesday, June 29th? Not necessarily. Certainly nothing with on-the-court stuff um, because, of course, everyone's going to say things are great and everyone's buying in and stuff like that. Uh, but I do think that, you know, early on in the process, we talked about, and, and Rowan and Nick talked about this a little bit, comparing to other countries and other programs, about starting to build that core. And obviously there's some veterans on this team, some international guys, some guys who maybe, you know, maybe this is their last window to really compete for Canada in a World Cup or Olympic level event. But you look, and there are a lot of young, energetic, enthusiastic guys here. And I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Lou Dort both kind of stepping into leadership roles. And RJ Barrett getting rave reviews for that same kind of thing in practice. I think, you know, we could extend this to Shea and Jamal if they were healthy too, and, and even Dylan a little bit. Like, there is... I get it. We, we've we kind of whiffed on the football a lot of times with Canada basketball in the last few yeah, years. And you don't want to get... It's Lucy, you don't get it's too, Lucy pulling the football, yeah, right? Yeah. You don't want to get too excited, but, like, this crop of talent skews very young. It skews very... I guess like uh, good vibes, like 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 there's a lot of positive energy with the younger players in this program, and I think even like having guys like Matherin and Bidiaco there, um, you know, it's it's yes, it's going to be hard to stay optimistic for another Olympic cycle if they don't make the Olympics this time, uh, but everything's in in pretty good shape, I think, and I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I do. Even without Shay and Jamal and Dylan, uh, I do think there is an element of if this team can qualify for the Olympics, there could be a real feeling of momentum that there is a young core here that's starting to build and is going to get more guys more excited about it. Uh, and we haven't even talked about uh, the possibility of Andrew Wiggins becoming the Canadian version of Team USA Mellow. Um, we are speaking to Andrew Wiggins immediately after recording this podcast, so... Oh. Uh, you you can ask him about that in those those words <laughs> exactly uh, specifically. Are you Carmelo Anthony, and why yeah. is the answer FIBA Wiggins? Why is the answer yes? I mean, look, he might play some power forward for this team. I, I would the, think so. I would think that's where he's going to start. Like, uh, if yeah. I had to guess, he would be the starting four. Um, would you have unquote. RJ at the starting three? Probably. I I, I haven't thought. Like, I, I haven't. Okay. It's you fine. Know, We're going to write it up yeah. uh, before the tournament anyway. Like, I don't know if the backcourt is uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Corey Joseph, or if only one of those guys starts, etc., etc., etc. Who do you think's the biggest threat? Turkey? Turkey, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they yeah are on, I think... They are, they are on the other side of, of the draw, of course. Canada yeah. gets uh, Greece without Giannis. Uh, without Anthanathos. any of the Antetos compo, <laughs> uh, without Vasilius Spinulis, um, Greece is pretty banged up. and Ba they, bad uh, vibes. The opposite of the Canadian vibes. Yeah, bad vibes. Look, they're, they're, they're experienced yeah. and physical enough that you certainly can't assume, especially as the, as the tournament opener for Canada, you can't assume a win there. But I think... I, I think Turkey and the Czechs are probably both bigger threats than Greece to take the tournament. Uh, but Turkey's the big one. Turkey's been good for a while. Their roster on paper is great. They've got good turnout. They have some familiarity. Uh, so it's a scenario where if I were to pick the winner of the tournament right now, I would pick Canada. But Canada versus the field, I might lean toward the field. I, I think it's pretty close to... You know, I don't think there's a huge gap between Canada and, and Turkey. Can yeah. our, our pal Witter on, on Twitter, who's a, a great Canadian basketball follow, put it as, I think he framed it as, Canada will be the favorite in every game. And this was in response to me saying it's closer to 50-50 than, than people might think. But yeah, they might be the favorite in every game, but that doesn't mean you're 
you know, a hundred percent favorite to win the tournament. It could mean you're 40% and Turkey's 35% and the Czechs are 20% and Greece is 5%, you know? Yeah. Uh, so Canada gets Greece June 29th, China June 30th, the semis and the finals go July 3rd and 4th. Uh, that's your Canada day long weekend, uh, or quasi long weekend. Should be fun, and we'll. I, I think the next time we podcast will probably be either in the middle or after that tournament, uh, and we'll uh, we'll chop it up. Uh, yeah, it, it'll depend on uh, yeah. what you want to do with your long weekend, because the natural spot to podcast would be after the round robin, which is uh, Canada. Yeah. So well, we can. Uh, yeah, we'll figure it out off air. We don't need to subject you guys to our uh, machinations, but we will be discussing the Canadian basketball tournament uh, on or the qualifying tournament on this very podcast. Um, before we get yeah, to... Yeah, and sorry, I just want to say I mentioned Canada Day and we mentioned Canada Day weekend. Um, just just to, to mention with that, Monday was Indigenous Peoples Day, um, which is something that we should probably acknowledge and respect and learn about uh, even more than, than Canada Day, especially with the, the conversations over the last little while. Uh, good time to kind of re-educate and relearn some stuff and reflect on, you know, what Canada Day means, especially so soon after um, Indigenous Peoples Day. And Victoria, of course, like everywhere in Canada, is, um, you know, th- that game will take place on um, land that originally belonged to uh, other people. I-, I don't have the pronunciation uh, of the original land name uh, in front of me, so I apologize for that. I should have looked that up ahead of time. Um but yeah, uh, something to uh, engage with a little bit uh, between Indigenous Peoples Day here and Canada Day. Um, you know, it's because it's it's a, obviously it's a little bit of a weird thing to shoehorn into basketball, but we're all going to take a lot of pride, I think, in this Canada basketball team qualifying for the Olympics if they do that. And within that national pride, I, I think, you know, for the, the country and the people we would like ourselves to be, uh, that requires some you know, reflection and acknowledgement of what this country is and how we've gotten to this point. Um, and what this country can be. Uh, let's get yeah. let's get better. Um, that, you know, it's the goal on the court is to continue to improve and it should be, you know, there are some things to not only acknowledge but uh, rectify uh, to the extent that we can rectify it and sincerely confront. Uh, that, that being, you know confronting and dealing with it and acknowledging it is the sort of the first step to to uh making you know amends to the extent that that can happen i think uh so good point blake uh and uh please do your homework uh and take it seriously because uh that's the reality of this country um We'll get to a few questions. Any Philadelphia 76ers schadenfreude you want to engage in before we do? No, I think you covered it well in your in your piece. <laughs> they uh, obviously should have traded for Kyle Lowry. Uh, yeah, that was that was bad. That was bad. And uh, speaking of which, uh, ve- uh, are we are we pivoting into Ben Simmons sign trades now? <laughs> sure. Um, I there are a bunch of people. Our old friend uh, uh, slash enemy. Chris Black says, I saw Raptors pop up on odds of landing Ben Simmons graphic somewhere. What would a theoretical deal look like? Uh, another question uh, that I can't find right now, or, or sorry, from Richard L. Does a Kyle Lowry sign and trade for Ben Simmons make any sense? Address that in whatever way you'd like, Blake. Yeah, I think, you know, the the one that I've seen people throw out there is uh, a Siakam for Simmons framework, which is kind of like, a buy low for buy low. Uh, I don't think that one's super realistic. I do think a Lowry sign and trade for Simmons is possible. It would seem to me like selling low on Simmons and, and maybe one of those deals where Philly just asks for too much in addition to make it happen. Um, but if they are intent on moving Simmons, which they're going to say they're not because that's how leverage works. Um, you know, I, I think they need a point guard and they need from... A lot of the reports around that team, they could use some leadership to, to kind of, you know, help round out the edges there. And I think the Lowry-Philly connection is obviously a real thing if he's not too spurned by them not trading for him at the deadline. Uh, so I think, you know, it's possible. I don't think it's 
the favorite. I think if Philadelphia decides to move on from Simmons, they'll first call every team that has a superstar that might be interested in Simmons. Uh, you know, uh, call the Rockets on James Harden. Oops. Uh, <laughs> and and then I think, you know, the, the Lowry possibility would be kind of a a second wave thing where, like, I think, I think they're probably going to, they might try to explore a Lowry sign and trade separate of, of Ben Simmons. And then you maybe kick around the Ben Simmons idea. Um, you know, part of the, the issue there is going to be the hard cap. If the 76ers acquire Lowry via sign and trade, they're then hard capped for the season. They can get there. Um, like you can maneuver around that, uh, especially if Lowry is making less than 30 million moving forward, which he probably would be. Uh, it just gets a little tighter for flexibility reasons. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, how much are you guaranteeing to Lowry? Because uh, the the sign and trade requires you to guarantee the first year. It has to be at least three years long, uh, but years two and three don't have to be fully guaranteed. So, um, you know, we had talked about maybe two years, 40 million makes sense for Lowry, but that's not possible in a sign and trade. So do you go 360 uh, and guarantee it all? Or, or do you have to work out a partial, um, you know, is if Lowry's market is more robust than just a Philly sign and trade, you know, do you have to go three years, 70 with, with a heavy partial in the third year? So there's some stuff like that to figure out um, but yeah, it's possible. And if I'm the Raptors and, and Kyle Lowry is, you know, if you're if you're in a place where you think Kyle Lowry's leaving, uh, Ben Simmons is. I, I know people get their jokes off, and I know the shooting is a real concern, and there, are, you know, people with the incentives to leak these things have not said the best things about him necessarily as a worker and stuff. Uh, he is one of the very best defenders in the NBA and one of the very best players at creating three point shots for teammates. Uh, that go in a lot, so you know, don't don't work yourself into a shoot. It's uh, Ben Ben Simmons remains very good. Uh, there were a few questions about trading out of the draft. I think we'll hold off on those for now, just because you have to know who's available. And other than Ben Simmons, like there's not a bunch of like superstar or superstar adjacent players that we can say are for sure out there. Like there's uh, C J McCollum maybe, is, is the other one that, that comes to mind. Uh, but I don't think Portland's looking to acquire more draft capital to make uh, Damian Lillard happy. So let's stay away from those for now. Uh, not to spoil your piece coming up, but for, uh, Chris Lukowitz asks, what kind of package would it take to move up from 4-1 to one to get Cade? Uh, not that it's... Uh, it, let's say Detroit is open to a package. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh... I think it's a possibility. Uh, I don't want to give too much away from a piece coming up. I don't want to give too much away from, you know, what uh, private conversations I've had with certain beat writers based in Detroit. But, uh, you know, Cade Cunningham is maybe not the consensus number one on every board. And you could probably get a haul for him. If I'm the Raptors, I probably call and I offer number four and I offer an unprotected 2023 first um because you know you're expecting to firmly be in the playoffs at that point i would throw in a 2025 you know maybe you try to get some lottery protection on that um and yeah i mean it, it maybe takes even more than that the big thing is if oklahoma city wants Cade cunningham with the draft cash that they have built up they can get Cade cunningham there's not a there's not a lot of fear there uh, they just maybe have to make it a three-team deal so that Detroit can still get Jalen Green somewhere in the top four or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm throwing a couple picks at it for sure. Uh, the hard part will be the Raptors only have four guys under guaranteed contract for next year. So if Detroit wants players back with it, you maybe have to guarantee a deal or two and figure out that. But yeah, I mean, I'd trade number four. I'd trade a couple of future firsts with uh, escalating protections over the years. But yeah, I mean, Kate Cunningham is, is really good. I would I would throw a lot of stuff on the table to trade up to number one. Uh, a lot more trade questions that we don't have time to get to today because we are pushing an hour now. Uh, but we're going to cover it. Don't worry. We've covered many parts of this uh, draft already. Uh, we will continue to do so now that we have pick certainty. Uh, our friend Andrew Wiggins is about to talk to us, Blake, so we should say goodbye. Uh, you can see all that draft coverage, the Canada basketball coverage, the, the athletic.com uh, slash we the six 
uh, I believe it's... Uh, oh, also, e- even if you're an existing writer and you just want to, like, say the next week or two, you just want to see the Canada basketball coverage, you can always go... We have a specific An existing uh, writer basketball. or subscriber? Pardon? You said an existing writer. Oh, yeah, existing writer. subscriber. We so, are existing yeah, you're pro- writers. You're probably although not... Although I'm not uh, sure we're existing. What is yeah. this? Um, so you can go to theathletic.com slash tag slash Canada dash basketball. And we, we always tweet that link out too, but... Um, yeah, we have a whole like landing page for all the Canada basketball stuff. So if you, you know, it, it gets tagged Raptors anyway, so it'll be in your Raptors feed. But uh, yeah, there's also the Canada basketball, and there's one more voice squeak for to end the podcast. Yeah. Let's get out of here. All right, I'm not asking a damn question on this next Zoom. I'm not getting <laughs> roasted. All right, go go drink some tea. Uh, get that get that throat working, Blake, and uh, we'll be back. Hey, keep it PG. <laughs> And uh, we'll be back at some point to talk about the Olympic qualifying tournament in Victoria, British Columbia. Blake, thanks for joining. Thanks, buddy. See ya!